Welcome to the I Also Want Money podcast, where our mission is to democratize, demystify, and demasculinize making money. I'm your host, Nicole Kyle, and I'm here with my co-host, Sophie Holm, and ally, Harrison Comfort. Today on the podcast, we are talking about the bedrock of our wealth journeys, uh, which, of course, is savings. Um, Most financial advisors recommend having an emergency fund before starting to put money into the market. Now, the reality is most people, most millennials, and certainly most millennial women struggle to save. Uh, If we look at the statistics, 53% of 22 to 29-year-olds in the UK have no savings. Only 43% of women are adding to their savings each month. The stats say it all. Um, savings is of, is, of course, proportionate to income. And I think especially in the UK, where wages are lower relative to the US and other economies, there's a belief that building an emergency fund is impossible, particularly in cities like London, where expenses are high. It's easy to feel defeated. And sometimes our savings journey feels like it's ended before it even begins. So to make building an emergency fund feel more possible for the typical woman, uh, we've invited Kristen Uretig. She's a certified financial planner, a self-identified women's wealth warrior, and she's the founder of Brooklyn Plans, a financial planning organization dedicated to supporting young professional women in taking control of their finances. Uh, She's been featured in a a number of publications, the the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, and we're really excited to have Kristen with us today. Welcome, Kristen. Thank you so much for having me. It's my pleasure. Kristen, before we get into the interview, I just want to remind our listeners, uh, you, you'll notice Kristen's bringing, you know, a, an American perspective to this call. What what we love about Kristen's advice is that there's a lot of transferable tactics and skills she's going to talk about today. In future episodes on the podcast, we're going to revisit ISAs and some of the UK-specific and other global options for saving. Uh, but with that in mind, Kristen, I do want to turn uh, our attention to some of those great savings ideas and, and just your observations from all all of your time working with clients. So to start the conversation, uh, why do you think it's hard for millennial women to save today? I agree, as you said, that it is the bedrock of a financial plan. Having savings really allows you so many other options like investing or reaching goals, paying off debt. It's, it's an important component of any other part of your financial plan. Origination of savings is having positive cash flow, which goes back to budgeting or a spending plan or whatever you want to call it, but essentially earning more than you spend. So I think it can be hard for a number of reasons, um, some of which are in our control and some of which are not. So things have gotten more expensive, leaving less disposable income. That's kind of a fact of if you look at the numbers. So there's there can be less disposable income available to save, and that's kind of factors outside of our control. And then if you look at factors within our control, um, there's no shortage of things that we want to spend the disposable income on. Um, and saving isn't always a top priority for people, or if it is um, without a plan to make it happen, it's just kind of like, oh, yeah, I should be doing that without a real uh, way to kind of pull the trigger and make it happen. 
Across your client base, what is the single biggest area where your clients have ended up saving more than they had expected? Right now, I mean, specific to this time, there's a lot of save unexpected savings happening in terms True. of uh, gym memberships are on hold. You know, in my family, we have a, a 20 month old and his daycare was our single biggest expense every month over housing. And they, that's suspended right now. So the payments are suspended. So there's lots of weird places I never would have expected. I never would have, you know, that there's savings happening right now. Student loan payments in the United States for direct federal loans have been frozen. Interest is frozen. So there's a lot of unexpected things right now and this time. But generally, I would say I don't see that much unexpected savings. Ask the other way around. What is the area where people have expected to save but haven't been able to? I think saving for a house is a big one. Um, I think people generally can gain some traction with the right, you know, setup and and things in place to save up for an emergency fund and to put something towards retirement. A lot of my clients come to me that way. They have some money saved in cash. They have, they're contributing to retirement, but those other goals, like say a wedding or buying a house feel like harder for them to, to map out and to put money towards. Kristen, I want to come back to something you mentioned a moment ago about how important it is to have a plan for saving. What does a savings plan look like? Yeah, it's actually a lot simpler than I think people may think it is. Um, And I've guided people in workshops through this. And, you know, your listeners could could do it pretty, pretty easily along with us, too, is you write down your goals. Like, what are the things that you want to save up for? So this could be, you know, paying down debts, a vacation. Uh, It could be saving for for college for yourself or a loved one, right? Whatever it is. So leave retirement out of it for now because that's a more complex calculation. Yeah, I think that's (laughs) smart. Yeah, (laughs) just like the the goals that you have, let's say in the next uh, five to to ten years, Um, and then you put a dollar amount to them as best you can and a time frame and then it's basic division like how many months do you have between now and when you want to achieve that goal and how much do you have to have and you divide it by that many months um most people haven't done that math and it's not it's not i'm not saying that to shame anyone i think it's super i'm just saying that to make actually people realize that it's super common to not have sat down and figured it out um, and you know, there's apps and things. Um, I'm not familiar with one off the top of my head. Cause I know you're going to follow up and ask me that, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> that I think would do this math even for you and make it even easier. It's really figuring out how much you need and dividing it. Now that's the first step, but then you might find that it's not doable. And maybe that's part of the reason why we don't sit down and do the math, because then you have to kind of pick yeah. like, which is most important. Um, because if we were to write down all our goals and how much we need and how much we want to achieve them how, or what time frame we want to achieve them by, we might find that we can't do it all. And that's, that's stressful and sad and disappointing. And so I think that may be part of the reason why we don't do it. Cause we'd have to really like face, um, our limits and 
choose. But that process that I kind of guide people through is actually really empowering and it's not something to be afraid of. It helps you adjust and course correct and make decisions that are based in, in reality and allow you to do more than you would if you don't kind of go through that process, I think. Do you have any advice for how to make those trade-offs when it becomes emotional and you realize, wow, I, I can't save for everything I want to do? I have a template that I did to kind of like speak to this, but it's very like an Excel spreadsheet that it basically is like what I just described, right? Your your goal, your time frame divided by the number of months, and then priority level, low, medium, and high. Um, so that's a very quantitative way to go about it. But I think um, there's certain things that we have in our minds that are like nice to haves versus things that are really important. And I think that um, that might be a quantitative way to do it, but just some kind of evaluation of like listing things in order of importance. For example, I had a client that said that she, in theory, would like to buy a house, but it wasn't a top priority. But she said, yeah, someday. I don't even know when. That doesn't seem realistic. But I, like, included it in her plan. And then when it came down to it, she couldn't save for the house and also move out to a rental in the area that she wanted to that had a good school because for her daughter and pay that rent and save for the house. So I was like, okay, you know, we're going to take out the house savings. And this is just an Excel. And I delete like that line that said like home. And she was like, I didn't even know I really wanted that house until you deleted that line. And then I was like, my house. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So anyway, we worked, you know, I worked with her to, to put it, work it back into her plan. And it was like, okay, but if we're doing this, like we can't do all the things. Um, so something else has to give and that's hard. It's hard for people. It's a hard conversation to have. It's hard for me as a planner to tell people like, you know, numerically this doesn't all fit, but when people accept that and move forward, that's where they have a lot of power. That's where they're coming from a place of real power as opposed to like a place of fantasy. Really good point, the power in writing it down. And I think a lot of us don't do that because, well, frankly, for emotional reasons. Uh, This conversation reminds me of all the rhetoric we hear around, oh, she's good with money or she's bad with money or she's great at saving. Uh, In your opinion, do you think some people are just naturally better savers than others? You know, I, I wonder about this myself. Um, I can't say I have a definitive answer. I will say that I think if there's really, I think that there are people that naturally do kind of live within their means and full disclosure, I'm not one of them. And so I think that's why I'm good at working with people who are also not because I'm, I think a lot of financial planners might be drawn to the industry because they're naturally good at some of these building some habits. Um, and I do get clients that come to me and they have, you know, they're just like little squirrels. Like they have money. I love that <laughs> image. Yeah, here and there in the retirement and, um, you know, that just don't spend. And, and sometimes that can be extreme. It can be like neurotic, right. That people won't spend. Um, 
So I do think some people have some habits around that, um, that I certainly didn't have. And I, I came up with a whole series of like ways to trick myself into saving and not overspending. And that's kind of the framework that I share with my clients is how I sort of trick myself into doing, into having better habits. I'm sitting here and realizing I hadn't really internalized that the biggest reason it's so hard to save and budget plans is that you have to face your prioritizations of what you can and can't do. Kristen, do you have any guidance for how to preserve or manage your emergency fund in a downturn like the one we're going through now? I've rebranded it in my practice and we call it the stability fund. Oh, I like that. I think saving for an emergency sucks, right? Like nobody's like, oh yeah, I want to save for that time when I don't expect something to happen, but I break my foot. Like that's just (laughs) kind of demoralizing. Um, But what we're really saving for, you're not really saving for that emergency. You're saving for your, for what, for your stability, despite whatever happens. And to me, that's a little bit more motivating. Like this is my stability fund. This is going towards me and my stability and my ability to weather anything and my strength, right? It's just like a branding thing. Maintaining it in these times, um, it's funny. I I just, I've been thinking about this a lot because I just um, did a a video this morning on saving now and in in times of crisis and in the future. Um, So some of my tips are, If you do, if you're experiencing less expenses right now, because everything from gym memberships and childcare to going out to eat and going to the movies, uh, where we may be experiencing reduced expenses on those fronts. So to transfer that money to savings instead, so just, you can keep pretending that you're making those payments as long as your income has held up. Obviously, if you're experiencing reduced or loss of income, Saving isn't a reality. Sometimes we're in a drawdown mode and that's what you saved for. And sometimes um, I have clients that, you know, are in a position where they need to use their savings and they feel really demoralized by that. And I always tell them like, that's a win. You had savings, you built the savings and now you need it, right? Like if we call it the emergency fund, when you have an emergency, you lost your job. Like now you're going to need to draw down a little bit and that's okay. You know, when the income comes back, you go back to it, you put into it. It's actually really comforting to hear that you identify as someone who's not naturally good at saving. Uh, I think that it's going to bring comfort to a lot of people, you know, even a financial planner can identify that way. Um, Kristen, you mentioned earlier that you came up with some tricks to trick yourself into saving. And I don't expect you to share them all. That's your bread and butter. But would you mind maybe sharing one or two tricks with us? Yeah. Um, What I saw for myself and a lot of my clients is that I think the default that is set up right now for most people in the way that they manage their money and the way that checking and savings accounts work and whatever is, um, you know, your money hits your account, you pay your bills and you spend the rest. And if you wanted to save, um, you would have to like be very proactive and, and kind of have these habits that I mentioned I didn't have. Um, 
So the default is that we overspend often because we have access to credit cards or other lines of credit and we don't save. So for me, like that default, I I needed a different default um, baseline. So what I did was I figured out, and this is what I do with clients, but people can do it on their own. It's again, the math isn't that complicated, but like you figure out how much you, you make after taxes, all of your fixed costs. And that includes, I include Netflix, I include Spotify, like anything that you're just expecting to have to pay this month, um, that money is not yours. And that's what I think makes it really confusing is because that money that I have to pay my landlord and I have to pay my electric bill is all mixed in with the money that like is mine to spend. But that other money is not really mine to spend. You see what I'm saying? It's visiting my account before it's going to someone else's. It's just on a layover. That's how I think (laughs) of it. Like it's just, it's just touching down and then it's off somewhere else. And then, but that money is all mingled in my account with all the money that is left for me to actually spend. And that makes it very confusing, I think, in general to make spending decisions because you'd have to have like a detailed budget or a very powerful mind that can separate that money out in real time as money's coming in and going out. And so very simply, what I advocate for myself and do with my clients is I, we have two separate checking accounts, one for bills and all of that money. And we figure out how much every month needs to be there because that money is, that number's pretty fixed. And then we separate that out from spending money. And then part of that process, I know this is a long trick, but this is kind of the essence of it, um, is like to carve out savings as like one of those bills that you're paying. So it's kind of more of a system that makes the default saving because we automate that and living within your means because we actually like put our clients and I've put myself on an allowance of spending money of how much is safe to spend every week. And that money is replenished every week to that account. So we have to do the math to make sure we get the numbers right. And then we just like automate it so that the default is a different one, if that makes sense. So that's a system that we, that I worked out for myself. And that's what I use with my clients and people have shared that like for those that struggle with spending, that it's a game changer to really have that level of clarity. Cause the way that it's set up, it's just very confusing that all of that money is mixed in one pot. Kristen, what is an I also statement that you would want the audience to take away from this conversation? Ooh, I feel like this is a powerful question. Um, I have to think for a moment. I also can reach my dreams while acknowledging the reality of my situation. I think it's a balance. Like, I think it has to be both. And sometimes that conversation is like, look, we're not bringing in enough income to do all these things. How can we like get a raise here? How can we get a higher paying job? Like sometimes the facts on the ground don't allow for it. But again, like we're always trying to get to yes. So it's like, how do we make this happen? Can where what levers can we pull? What options do we have to think out of the box and like make this happen for you? Thank you for listening. If you like what you're hearing, join us in the I also movement. This means take to your social platforms and post a hashtag I also statement. Follow us on Instagram at I also podcast. And of course, subscribe.
This podcast is produced by Harrison Comfort, and the theme tune is by Mal and Linnea.